from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Yes. It's the first week of May, which means we are two months into lockdown. Can you believe it's been two months? Well, not a full two months. We started in the middle of March, right? Did we? Yeah. Yeah, we did. You're right. That's why it <laughs> seems like it's gone by quicker than it has. <laughs> that, that's actually a blessing to, to have it feel like it's gone quicker because it could have just been slogging away. <laughs> True. Is that an expression, slogging away? I like Did it. Did I just make it up? It's a good one. Okay. It's created, obviously, so many challenges for so many people, but also lots of opportunity to evangelize in new ways and to get the message of the theology of the body out in new ways. I was just on a Zoom call last night. It was 9 p.m. here on the East Coast of the United States, and I was talking to about 130 people in Singapore mm-hmm. uh, at 9 a.m., 12 hours later, right. with the time change. And that was, that was the biggest Zoom call I had ever been in, which was kind of fun. But we have, because of the coronavirus and the lockdown, we've taken the opportunity to launch an online virtual conference at the Theology of the Body Institute, which is happening Mother's Day weekend. And it's shaping up. We already have over... 30,000 people registered, which already far surpasses the last record for the largest, yeah, in, in, it's a little bit of history we're making here. It's the largest gathering of Theology of the Body enthusiasts, if you can call it a gathering, because everybody will be in their own homes. But through the miracle of internet technology, we have the largest gathering of Theology of the Body enthusiasts in history. And you know, we, we still have a week to go uh, from the time of recording this, five days or so from the time we've launched this podcast. Mother's Day weekend, May 8th to the 10th, you have free access to over 60 presenters on the Theology of the Body with a host of different topics. And we're, we're really trying to demonstrate how Theology of the Body is a lens through which you can view the, the whole of our faith. So, lots of the topics are diving into different aspects of our Catholic faith, wearing these lenses that John Paul II gives us to illuminate the faith. And you and I are going to do something special, too, that's a first. Why don't you tell our yes. listeners about that? Yes. Well, we both have talks that are available, um, along with there are there are other teachers and testimonials and art, so lots of those things. But then we're also going to record a podcast during the conference as part of the conference. Via Zoom. Right. It's going to be a live video version of our podcast. So, that'll be fun. Mm -hmm. And we'll be taking your questions live. Um, But I do, I should mention this, that's part of the premium package for the conference. So, there is a free offering for the conference for the whole weekend. The premium package gives you access to all the additional content like our live broadcast, uh, video broadcast of our podcast. And the premium pass goes to support, of course, the work and mission of the Theology of the Body Institute. And it allows you to watch the talks 
beyond the weekend, so you'll have access to those talks at your leisure. It'll be quite a cram session to watch over 60 presenters in one weekend. (laughs) So uh, we're really grateful to all the people out there who've already purchased the premium pass. You don't know how much that is helping us just with our basic necessities right now during this lockdown time. It's been financially difficult for the Theology of the Body Institute because we had to cancel so many of our live events. And so this is a a great way to support the work of the Institute. We're really, really grateful to everybody out there who's doing that. And I will add, just so everybody knows, Wendy recorded her talk just a couple days ago for this conference. Mm -hmm. And I watched it and I, yeah, I was brought to tears, my love, hearing from your vantage point, stories about the healing that the Lord has brought into your heart and into our marriage. I've told my own side of that story so many times publicly, it's kind of become a story in my mind. And hearing you tell it from your perspective about some of the difficulties you and I have been through and how the Lord has worked through those trials and difficulties was really a blessing to my heart. Mm-hmm. So, guys out there listening, you are not going to want to miss my wife's talk. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, I don't know if I agree, but that's fine. <laughs> I hope you do enjoy it, or it does bless you if you decide to listen to that one. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It's Thank good. you. He's, yeah. a, he's, he's great. He's good support, isn't he? <laughs> just paying it back, lover. All right. You're my number one supporter. It's true. Actually, before we take our first question, Wendy, I should probably mention where people can learn about the conference. It's at tobvirtualconference.com. That's where you can get all the information. You see the full list of speakers and you can register. You do have to register at the website to have access to the talks and you can learn more about the premium package as well. Sorry about that. I just forgot. So, Sounds good. So we have some questions today. Yeah. Let me give you some questions here. Here we go. It is the Ask Christopher West podcast, after all. It is. And the first one is actually a quarantine question. Quarantine question. Here we go. Catherine asks, My question is about quarantine in the Eucharist. I'm sure others can relate. I've recently been falling more in love with the Lord through the Eucharist, but I took for granted that He would be there at Mass every Sunday. I didn't take time out of my week to go to daily Mass, which I now regret. I ache deeply to receive Jesus sacramentally, and I long for the physical closeness of receiving Him in the Eucharist. I realize that the ache is a good thing in a way, but often find myself resenting the fact that I cannot now receive communion, and I tend toward self-pity in this. Uh, So, she asks, how can I recognize the grace God is offering in this time of trial and pray into the ache it is bringing about in my heart? Bless you, Catherine. Wow. Such richness in your heart that I hear as Wendy reads your question. I, I think this is a great example of what Pope Benedict XVI said. This is floating out there right now on the internet because so many People are experiencing very similar things to what you're experiencing, Catherine. This quote is getting some traction where Benedict is talking about how we often take for granted reception of the Eucharist. And this was long before, I don't even know when this quote was was spoken or written, but long before coronavirus shutdown, lockdown, uh, Pope Benedict XVI was saying, 
taking a time of refraining from the Eucharist can be good for us because it it increases that hunger. And that's exactly what you're experiencing, Catherine. You're experiencing an increase in your hunger for closeness to the Lord. Count that as an amazing grace, my dear sister. If I would put a biblical story to what you're feeling, you, dear Catherine, right now are experiencing that ache and longing of the bride in the Song of Songs when she cannot find her lover. She goes running through the streets. Have you seen my lover? Have you seen my lover? Have you seen the one I love? And that, there's a, a, a wealth of commentary from the saints on that passage of the Song of Songs. And so many of the saints just come to the very same conclusion saying, why would the Lord, because the bridegroom in the song is ultimately Jesus and the bride is ultimately the church, each one of us. And the bridegroom seems to abandon the bride. Like she's in bed, she's ready to receive her bridegroom. She has undressed, she's in bed waiting. The bridegroom comes and then he leaves. Like, what the heck? Why'd you leave? She goes running out of the streets looking for him. And saint after saint after saint has said, the Lord does this in order to stretch our desire, in order to enlarge our capacity to receive him. Catherine, think what joy it will be when we're able to go back to Mass and you're able to receive the Lord again. The bridegroom's absence is an invitation to allow the capacity of our hearts to be stretched even wider to receive Him. I remember going through a season like this some years ago where I just felt the Lord had not shown up I was able to receive him in the Eucharist at the time. It wasn't that. But in my prayer life, it felt very dry. I felt like he wasn't present to me as I, as I have experienced on other occasions. And I was getting kind of resentful about it. And as is typical, the Lord sings to me through pop songs. And I heard the song by the band Train come into my head. And I knew it was the Lord singing to me. The lyrics were... Um, let me see if I can remember it. Yeah, please believe that when I leave, there's nothing up my sleeve but love for you. Mm. So, dear Catherine, the Lord is allowing this ache to increase in your heart. Please believe that when he leaves, there's nothing up his sleeve but love for you. Allow your desire to be stretched. You're deepening your capacity to receive him. Mm-hmm. I can relate to everything that Catherine expressed and just that. You were sharing this just recently with me, Wendy. Yeah. You were feeling similar things. Yeah, yeah. definitely. You know, it's, I don't know that we can separate out all the different um, experiences we're having during this, as they say, unprecedented time in our lives. But I, I know in my heart that not having received the Eucharist in so many weeks is... is we lack something. Yeah, you know, we, we do. Feel we really that. do. And yet, I, I love the that song. You know that he's there's nothing up his sleeve but love for us. And also, I love that um, beautiful quote from I think it was Teresa of Avila, who was not allowed to receive the Eucharist for a long time, and she said her delight is in doing God's will. And if it's so clear that this is God's will, then She's just going to delight in that. 
you know, and just trust. Yeah, and the Lord's allowing this for some reason. And if we can receive the stretching, that's the clear sign of his presence, that our desire for him increases. I forget what saint said that, but it has always blessed me. It was one of the great mystics who said, one of the sure signs of his presence is the increase of your desire for him. So be assured, Catherine, the Lord has not left you abandoned. The increase of your desire for the Eucharist is the sure sign of his presence. Mm. Next question is from Andre. Hi, Andre. Hello, Christopher. Well. (laughs) That's how he begins. How about that? So, in Genesis Chapter 1, verse 27, it says, God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So, it says that God created them in his image, but he doesn't have a body. So, it must be a different kind of image, not a biological one. But he says that he created them in the image of God. And then he continues to elaborate by saying that image is in the gender of male and female. So, my question is, if being in God's image is not meant biologically, how is it shown in the genders of male and female? Okay, Andre, I am going to jump right into this statement, which is something you're kind of asserting here, which in fact is not true, that it's not biological. What is true is The Trinity is not biological. The Trinity is pure spirit, except all you good theologians out there are saying, well, what about Jesus? He took on flesh. Yes, he did. So, the second person of the Trinity, post-incarnation, does indeed take biology up into the Trinity. But let's, let's speak for a moment in kind of the abstract of before the incarnation, it's so hard to apply these terms to God because he's eternal. You know, these are strange things we can't comprehend within time. But let's speak of the Trinity. This word isn't entirely appropriate, but before the incarnation, God is pure spirit. So, God has no nothing biological about him in the eternal exchange of the Trinity. But our creation as male and female, we are biological beings. We are this marriage of body and soul. And the image of God is not only found in our spiritual soul. The image of God is found in our whole humanity, male and female. He created them and he blessed them and said, be fertile and multiply. So, biology here is integral to what it means that we image God. And the very word image speaks of a making visible of something invisible, right? God is not made in our image. We are made in his image. The word image does not apply to God. It applies to us. To to the very word image, again, refers to that which is visible. God is invisible. But our bodies, and this is the key teaching of John Paul's catechesis. This is the very thesis statement of his catechesis. The body and only the body is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. Your body, Andre, and my body 
has been created, and everybody's body has been created to transfer into the visible reality of the world, John Paul II says, the invisible mystery hidden in God from eternity. We use the word image right in the same moment of that transfer to trans think of a bank transfer you're going from one account to another god wants to take his mystery from the invisible account of heaven to the visible account of earth how does he do it he makes us in his image boom right in that moment image the transfer of the mystery of god as something invisible now that mystery is made visible in the image, the very image of being male and female, the call of the two to become one flesh. And here, John Paul II brings a dramatic development of teaching to the way the church has has traditionally understood image of God. The image of God, if you look back at the, the theological tradition, has more often than not been understood as our rational soul, our intelligence, our will, our memory, even our freedom. And that's certainly that. But again, the word image itself applies, uh, uh, implies something visible. And so John Paul II says, the image of God is found in man, not only in his own humanity, but also through the communion of persons, which man and woman are called to form from the very beginning. And then he adds, and on all this, there descended the blessing of fertility. So we see in that fertile communion of man and woman, we see an image, and that's the right word, we see an image of the eternal life-giving love of the Trinity. Astounding, astounding, astounding. I hope that helps you, Andre. I think uh, as you talk about this, you know, and you talk about mystery and God is eternal, and there is sort of a challenge to our linear human logical brains in pondering some of this. Yeah. But, um, I'm struck by a couple things. One is the joy and delight of God in creating human beings in the image of the Trinity, just that absolute trinitarian delight of this high point of highest point of creation here in in human beings is that right to call it highest point or highest point of say that again of creation yeah yeah we are we are the crown of creation yeah we are the height of the created order the human being sums up in himself as the catechism says all the elements of the created world. And as we know that um, our faith teaches us there, there there was a first couple not fallen. You know, this is in our faith, yet they probably didn't write down the story of how they came to be created. And so there's something else beautiful about God revealing to fallen human beings his original plan and just the, the awesomeness that it just says to us, even in after the fall, it's still possible to see or to sense how beautifully God created man and woman in his image. I don't know if I'm making sense entirely. Yeah. What I'm saying is like those who wrote down this reality were inspired by yes. God, but their perspective, their experience of life was fallen, but they, they sensed and believed what God had intended. 
I think that's awesome. I'm working on this study guide right now for a new course I'll be teaching for the Theology of the Body Institute in uh, October of this year, 2020. And it's on the Blessed Mother. This course is a whole course dedicated to who is Mary. And I, I, in my research, I came across this quote from Pope Benedict XVI, who speaks about the incarnation as the moment that the biological becomes theological. Mm. It's astounding that God, God took on flesh. This is our faith. And we must conclude that biology reveals theology. To say uh, theology of the body is just another way of saying made in the image and likeness of God. So, I hope that's all helpful to you, Andre, and I hope it encourages you to enter more deeply into that astounding mystery that because we're made in the image of God, first of all, and then ultimately because of the incarnation itself, biology has become theology. Astounding. The next question is from Paul. Hey, Paul. Paul says, I'm currently undergoing the divorce and annulment. Mm, mm, So sorry. One of the largest reasons for things ending is that she just refused to have a physical relationship with me. After a lot of detailed conversations with priests and my counselor, I can accept intellectually that I am not to blame for this. But I'm really struggling with deep feelings of rejection and that there must be something wrong with me. Mm. Any advice? Mm. Bless you, brother. Bless you. Thank you, Paul, for entrusting your question to us, which speaks of your, your deep pain. And we honor your vulnerability. We hold your question as a, a treasure because of your trusting us with it. Thank you, brother. As I was hearing you read that question, Wendy, I was taken right to to an image in my mind of Christ on the cross. And there we have the ultimate rejection of the bridegroom. Christ says to his bride, This is my body given for you. And she, meaning we, all of us, we nailed it to a tree. The ultimate rejection of the bridegroom is revealed in his crucifixion. And yet, and yet, there is a woman at the foot of the cross who received him. And Paul, I want to invite you to be right there as you're feeling that deep pain and rejection, which is very real. Know you are one with Christ on the marriage bed of the cross in feeling that rejection. And so the rejection itself becomes a profound intimacy with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But there's more to this. If you are Jesus on the cross in your rejection, there's a woman at the foot of the cross. Her name is Mary. And she, Paul, receives you. She receives you. She knows you. She does not reject you. 
coming to understand this in my own life, Paul, that Mary receives me perfectly has been a, a tremendous grace in my life. And it has taken, if I may put it this way, Wendy, you'll know what I mean, and then I'll explain it for our listeners. It's taken a tremendous burden off of our marriage, tremendous burden off of our relationship. And this is what I mean. When we go to another human being expecting them to be able to offer us perfect love, we, we're, we're wounded because no human being can offer perfect love. When do you offer me a beautiful love? But I know you'd be the first one to acknowledge it's not a perfect love. So true. And I am made as a man to receive a woman's perfect love, just as you, Wendy, as a woman are made to receive a man's perfect love. And I, I am not the one to give you that perfect love. I'm called to continue a journey of purification and to have my love become more and more perfected. But I'm, I'm not Jesus in that sense. I'm not going to be able to give you that perfect love. The more you are able to take your desire as a woman to Jesus, Wendy, the more you've been able to love me and my imperfection. And the more I've been able to take my need for a woman's perfect love to Mary, the more I've been able to love you in your imperfection. So, Paul, I, I know, you know, who, who am I to talk into this? Because I do have a, a wife who, who loves me dearly. But every man, every man must learn how to take his need for that feminine love, that need to be enveloped by perfect feminine love. It's very real in the heart of every man. Mary is that love that you desire. And she is at the foot of your cross receiving you. If that just sounds like a bunch of theological mumbo jumbo, <laughs> which I can understand why it might, you know, because what does that even mean? What does that even mean to say Mary is there? This, this is an invitation to recognize the real experiences of one's prayer life. And we can rightly call these mystical experiences. But here, mystical does not mean a fantasy. Mystical does not mean unreal. Mystical does not mean imaginary. The physical is only the shadow of the mystical. The mystical is the really real. And conversion, Pope Benedict XVI said, conversion means recognizing that the visible is the sign of the invisible. And placing our trust, placing our faith, placing our hope, placing the satisfaction of our needs in that other realm. Mary is a human being. She's, she is a creature like us all, but she has passed over into that other realm, already bodily participating in the divine mystery. And that's what makes her especially close to us because she's already passed over and those experiences that can be had in prayer are very real. And so I would encourage you, Paul, turn to her with your heart. Give her your heart. In, in the spirit of St. Louis de Montfort and John Paul II, who was a disciple of Louis, Louis de Montfort, give that totus to us, which means I am totally yours, Mary. You know, we all begin, our lives begin in the womb of woman. 
And the word nostalgia means a longing for home, (laughs) a longing for home. We all have this longing for home to return to the womb. And the way we enter the kingdom, Jesus says, you cannot enter the kingdom unless you are born again, regenerated of water and the spirit. And Nicodemus wonders, can I enter my mother's womb a second time? Jesus does not say no, but he raises the conversation to that other dimension, that kingdom dimension, the supernatural dimension. And he does invite us, the Lord does invite us to be born again of Mary, to, so to speak, re-enter the womb. And that prayer is an experience that can open up for you, Paul, these mystical tastes of what it means to be enveloped by perfect feminine love within the womb of Mary, to have an umbilical cord, like the mystical umbilical cord plugged into your navel and receive that, that blood, the very blood that nourished Christ can nourish you. And then we are born of her. And then we are nourished by her. You can be a babe, Paul. You can place yourself as a babe. Scripture says we are to long for pure spiritual milk. Be not afraid, my brother Paul, to place yourself in prayer. Or even better, let Mary carry you like a babe and nourish you at her breast and drink that spiritual milk. If this seems unusual or strange or maybe even to some heretical, I assure you, saint after saint after saint talks about this. Ask for St. Bernard of Clairvaux's intercession here. Ask for the intercession of uh, Louis de Montfort who says, at the virginal breast of Mary, the Christian receives all nourishment and every good thing. Be not afraid, my brother, to take your need for that feminine love and comfort to Mary. She will meet you. She will meet you there. And I here I'll, I'll quote from St. John Paul II. He says that every man must hear, as Joseph heard, be not afraid to take Mary into your home. Be not afraid, Paul, to take Mary into your home, into your heart. And he says, if God makes a gift of Mary to you, then you needn't be afraid to receive the gift of Mary as she presents herself to you from the hands of the Lord. There is only one thing you should fear, says St. John Paul II, that you would grasp at or try to appropriate Mary's beauty. But if you receive Mary's feminine beauty as a gift, then you have nothing to fear. And then John Paul II says, and I'll make it personal to you, Paul. He says, Paul, Maybe you are being chosen as one who can speak to Mary about how beautiful she is to you. If you are being chosen to enter into Mary's beauty in this way, do not resist. Trust in the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Paul. The Spirit will lead you and will reveal to you what St. Louis de Montfort calls the secret of Mary. To those To whom the secret of Mary is revealed, St. Louis de Montfort says that the garden enclosed, and that's a quote from the Song of Songs. In the Song of Songs, the bride, her her garden is enclosed and the bridegroom longs to enter the garden. And St. Louis de Montfort says the Holy Spirit will open the garden enclosed, will open Mary's garden to you. 
the womb of Mary will be open to you. And you can frolic there in that garden because the garden of Mary is the new Eden. It's the new paradise. It's where the tree of life grows. It's where the tree of the knowledge of good and evil grows. And get this, Louis de Montfort says, those who are welcomed into Mary's garden may eat freely from the tree of life and they may eat freely from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree itself is not evil. It's a tree that is the knowledge of good and evil. And so we are granted access to what is truly good and what is truly evil within the Eden of Mary because the fruit is not grasped at. The fruit is freely given by the Lord. And Louis de Montfort also says we can drink deep drafts from the fountain, which is unsealed for us in Mary. Deep, deep drafts of living water from the womb of Mary. Wow, 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 wow. That living water, of course, is the Holy Spirit. But what is Mary's womb? It's where the Holy Spirit came to bring about the incarnation. So her womb flows with these waters. Go to her, Paul. Go to her, Paul. Be not afraid. Mm. I feel it. It's beautiful. As we were starting this podcast, that phrase of JP2, Totus tuus Maria was just very present to my mind, and mm. I feel like it was for Paul. I don't know if we could just close with a prayer for, do that? for him and for anyone else in his, you know, similarly needing that healing. Lord, we lift up Paul to you. We lift up men who are suffering, who feel deeply rejected, who may understand, as he said, intellectually. This has nothing to do with me, but in their heart and in their spirit, they feel that rejection. Lord, we pray first, as Christopher described, for an identification with you and the rejection you experienced. And we, then we pray for that healing power of your love to flow into each man, to affirm the incredible goodness of their bodies of their gift of self, we pray, Blessed Mother, that you would make yourself known to them in holy, beautiful ways to bring consolation and healing to them. We pray for the intercession of John Paul II, of Bernard of Clairvaux, of Louis de Montfort. St. Joseph. And St. Joseph, yes. All holy men and women, pray for us. Pray for us. I have a little uh, altered version of the Hail Mary that I'd like to pray, and I'd like to offer that right now for Paul. This is how I have taken on in my own heart to pray this prayer. Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you, and the Lord is in you. Blessed is the womb that bore Jesus. And blessed are the breasts from which he nursed. That's a quote right from the scriptures. Holy Mary, spotless bride and mother of God, pray for Paul in that pain of his rejection. Pray for Paul and pray for all of us now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Look forward to seeing so many of you. I hope all of you will s sign up for that virtual conference. I look forward to 
I was saying, seeing you. I mean, not that we can see you through the camera, but <laughs> look forward to, to sharing all the treasures that we've gathered from so many wonderful speakers at this upcoming conference. And you can go to tobvirtualconference.com to learn more, to register, uh, to explore that premium package as well, where you get all the extra goodies and you get to continue watching the talks even after the weekend. So until then, blessings to you. Remember always, you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes.